0: This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the house. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators ace in the hole. Welcome to season two, episode eight of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer
1: Dubasek. And I'm Lori Jennings.
0: In this episode, we spotlight part two of Jackson County, Florida, a small rural county in Northwest Florida that becomes the backdrop for three cold case playing cards and five victims from the Florida deck. In episode seven, we told you guys about the murder of Robert
1: and Catherine McRae of Jackson County, Florida. The McRae's were a wealthy elderly couple who were murdered in their mansion after coming home from dinner. Sheriff McDaniel told us about this murder and what he did to find the person or persons responsible, but to no avail. Today we're going to tell you about another card out of Jackson County and the two victims connected with it. We decided that these cases deserved their own episode. Part 3 will conclude with the twisted tale of small-town revenge that had very personal repercussions for a beloved sheriff and shocked the nation. The welcome to Jackson County, Florida, part 2. Mm-hmm time for us to solve these cases
2: one card at a time.
1: Help us deal justice for Teresa and Tiffany Hall.
0: This is Episode 8, Part 2 of the Jackson County Cases, Teresa and Tiffany Hall, King of Diamonds, Florida Deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us back to Jackson County, Florida, for another helping of Southern charm turned Southern harm, and where one sheriff discovers big crime in his small town we do want to warn you. In this episode, there is graphic discussion of details of the crime, and it does unfortunately involve a child. Please take care of your mental health and those around you before proceeding. Last week, we told you about Jackson County, Florida, a rural county in Northwest Florida. We explained how this vast county was made up of largely small towns wooded land, dirt roads, and backcountry highways. One of those small towns is Mariana, Florida. Mariana is small. The population sits just under 7,000, and its nickname is the City of Southern Charm. And you can't dispute the area's southern heritage or historical significance. But just in case you try, there are reminders everywhere. Jackson County itself is named in honor of the seventh president of the United States, Andrew Jackson. And there are stunning antebellum homes and historically preserved buildings dating back to the Civil War. There are caves to explore and memorials like the one telling of the bloody battle of Mariana, Florida. It took place during the Civil War. And when it was over, the church and several homes were burned and over 25% of the male population was killed wounded or captured. And then there are the rumored hauntings, like the Bellamy Bridge. It's an old bridge that sits on the site of a previous bridge from the 1800s, and it's said to be Florida's most haunted bridge. And if that doesn't satisfy the Scooby-Doo in you, there's the Russ House. It's Jackson County's official visitor center, and dates back to the 1800s. It's a classic revival Queen Anne home, That is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and it's been the focus of several paranormal investigations, and it's rumored to be home to several ghosts. They even give ghost tours of the building, but old buildings and bridges aren't the only thing that haunts this small town.
1: Teresa Carmichael Hall grew up in Cypress, Florida, and graduated from Grand Ridge High School. By 1991, her father had passed away and her mother, Charlotte, had remarried Angus Mitchell. Teresa was great with kids and seemed to surround herself with them, even working at a children's clothing store in Mariana called New Beginnings. Teresa Hall lived with her five-year-old
0: daughter and her
1: husband, Brian
0: Hall, in Cypress, Florida. Cypress is an unincorporated area in Jackson County, and it's about 10 miles outside of Mariana. Usually, unincorporated areas mean they're exceedingly small, rural communities, and it means that you don't have an official town government in place, although infrastructure does exist. And that is indeed the case for Cypress, Florida. It's a private place for people to live when the small town of Mariana is too big for their liking. It's a perfect example of Jackson County, Florida, a lot of rural small towns under the umbrella of one county and one Sheriff Johnny P. McDaniel.
2: My name is John P. McDaniel. I was born and raised here in Jackson County, a large rural area, and everybody knows everybody just about, and knows everybody's business. (laughs) Over 900 miles of dirt road, and I worked many, many cases, and I was fortunate enough that the people let me serve them 28 years as sheriff. Went through seven elections. See, it's a heavy burden not to have an unsolved murder, period. Any unsolved murder, but you don't want one, two, three, whatever. It don't it don't matter. You want that family to you want to look in that family's eye and say, These are the people that did it. Here's why we think they did it. And if if you can't do that, you feel like you haven't done what you're supposed to do.
0: It's nineteen ninety-one in Mariana, Florida, and Sheriff Johnny McDaniel has held office since nineteen eighty, and he and this close-knit community we're still recovering from the 1989 murders of Robert and Catherine McRae that we told you guys about in Episode 7. It had changed the small-town innocence that the citizens had once taken for granted, but they were beginning to get back to normal, back to enjoying their peace, and back to their small-town mentality, especially since it was the holidays.
1: 25-year-old Teresa Hall sits in front of a Christmas backdrop holding her five-year-old daughter Tiffany on her lap. This picture is one that you can conjure up in your mind when you think about the early 90s when families went to the mall or local photography studio to have their family holiday portraits made. The photography backdrop looks like the two are sitting in someone's festive living room. There's a fireplace mantle decorated with green candles, a Christmas wreath hanging from the center, And, of course, a Christmas tree angled to the side with red and green jingle bell ornaments decorating it. Teresa clearly took time to make this picture special. Her natural blonde hair is curled, her lips painted holiday red, and her red snowman sweater matches that of her daughter smiling sweetly on her lap. Tiffany is five and has the same color hair as her mom and the same gentle smile. She is wearing light-colored jeans, and her hands rest naturally around her mom's arms that are folded around her tiny body. Teresa doesn't look like a small-town girl done up. She looks like your sweet elementary school teacher that you wanted to be, or that you had a crush on. She was just pretty. Her daughter Tiffany attended Golson Elementary School in Mariana, where she was in kindergarten. Brian and Teresa had a tumultuous relationship and were separated up until recently. In fact, Teresa and Tiffany had just moved back in with Brian into their pink, single-story, wood-frame home, located on Village Road in Cyprus, that Sunday, December 8th, the day before the big Marianna Christmas parade. After church, the Hall family had gathered with other family members for Sunday lunch, and Teresa seemed to be enjoying the holiday season as a family again, and left early to get Tiffany back to church to rehearse for the church Christmas play. It seemed that things were back on track for the Hall family. But this holiday season would turn out to be anything but peace on earth. Monday, December 9th,
0: 1991. It's the night of the annual Mariana Christmas Parade. And if you're from a small town, you know what a big deal the local Christmas parade is. And it's especially true in Mariana, Florida. Here's longtime Jackson County resident Jennifer Bernier, who was a sophomore in high school in 1991.
3: What the parades are, like in Mariana, what they used to be, is like these were a big deal. Like everybody showed up for the parade. And especially this one because they held it like right before sunset so it got dark. And then you could see all the lights from the floats and everything. And it was just a big draw for everybody to come in and see the parades. There was, you know, marching bands and, of course, you know, all of the beauty queens, different things like that. Little cheerleaders and little baton twirlers. So anything you would imagine being in a parade in a small town, that's what the Christmas parade was um, in Mariana. And, of course, we had other parades that also had a big draw, but that one was, you know, it kind of closed out the year for our area. So it was kind of the last one of the year to come to.
1: Teresa's husband, Brian Hall, would be missing the festivities this year. He left for work in the early morning hours and was working two hours away in Quitman, Georgia, on a job as a carpet layer. He was staying the night in Georgia to finish the job and wasn't planning on being home until later that week. That evening, Teresa and five-year-old Tiffany were alongside thousands of other locals as they lined U.S. Highway 90 to watch and cheer the procession of floats, marching bands, and pageant winners, ending, of course, like any good Christmas parade would, with Santa Claus. The parade ended around 7 p.m. Teresa and Tiffany left and went through the drive-thru of a local fast food restaurant, Once they arrived home, the pair continued the holiday festivities and began pulling out Christmas decorations. Sadly, Teresa nor Tiffany would be alive to celebrate Christmas that year. In fact, they would never even finish decorating. They had no idea of the evil that was coming for them. Outside, the Florida snow, otherwise known as rain, was beginning to fall from the sky and would continue well into the night. Tuesday, December 10th. 1991 new beginnings
0: children's store was getting ready to open its doors and greet the holiday shoppers but one of their employees never showed up it was unlike teresa to be late let alone a no show and nobody was answering the phone at her house worried about her the owner had her daughter reach out to teresa's father-in-law dudley hall to see if he knew why teresa didn't show up that day remember This is a very small town. No social media needed. Dudley got the call that Teresa never showed up for work. And since his son was out of town, he went to check on his daughter-in-law and granddaughter. It was definitely out of character for Teresa to not show up to work. But before he left the house, Dudley made a quick call to Tiffany's elementary school to make sure she was in class. She was not. Dudley immediately headed to his son and daughter-in-law's house. According to the book, The High Sheriff, Teresa's stepfather, Angus Mitchell, was also contacted over concern for Teresa. He got into his car and headed straight to his stepdaughter's house to check on her and his granddaughter. Upon entering the home, he saw an unimaginable sight that could have been straight out of a horror film. For Angus, it was visceral. He immediately ran from the house and into his car and made it to the stop sign down the little dirt road before he began violently vomiting. When he could compose himself, he notified the police.
1: Meanwhile, Dudley Hall, Teresa's father-in-law, arrived at Teresa's home to find the door open. He entered the home and immediately saw the body of his granddaughter, Tiffany. She was lying on the floor in the doorway between the kitchen and the den covered in dried blood. Not far from the little girl was her mom's body. Teresa was lying in a pool of dried blood in the kitchen, and it was obvious they were dead.
0: At 2.30 p.m. that afternoon, Sheriff McDaniel was notified of the gruesome discovery. And once again, the county he vowed to serve and protect had been violated in the worst way. What you're about to hear is details of the crime scene and violence against a child. It gets extremely graphic.
2: I can tell you what happened. I was in, uh, think Tampa, in FDLE school on homicides, I believe. I got a call, Sheriff, we got a double homicide. I said, what? We got a double homicide, we need you to come home. Well, with that being said, I didn't get into any details. Went and got my car, went by the motel, picked up my clothes, threw them in, and gone. And uh, I came, to, I went to the crime scene. 80 minutes later from Tampa. I got there and I uh, had them fill me in what we had—a little small house, uh, wooden structure, driveway in the front. Uh, you pull in and right there's the, the patio door, uh, like a, a car had been a carport, but like the Miami Jalous Wonders that rolled by there. And you step up into the kitchen area, and to the right was the bedroom on the very back. But and the little girl Tiffany was found, uh, she was found at the steps and it looked like somebody had taken her by the hair they had slammed her head down against the threshold in the, in the thing and uh, brain concussion. And they'd already pulled her hair out of her, some hair out and it was on the floor in the bedroom there. Tiffany was, uh, Teresa was laying in the floor and she had been just beat to death. That's just all there is to it. She's, you can't say it no other way. They say bludgeoned if you want to. She was beat to death.
0: Detectives noted that there were signs of forced entry. The door had been kicked in and the home phone had been ripped from the wall. There were signs of a struggle in the kitchen and the door frame had been split. The back door jam was cracked and the metal lock on the back door was broken off and lying on the floor. Teresa had defensive wounds on her arms and hands where she valiantly fought her attacker. Investigators believe the attacker gained entrance through the back door that led into the kitchen. The first blow to Teresa's head probably killed her, but her attacker continued to beat her violently. As for five-year-old Tiffany, investigators surmise that after running to her room, She was dragged by her hair down the hall back to the living room. The evidence led investigators to believe that Tiffany was then picked up by her heels and her head violently bashed on the doorframe. In what I can only imagine as pure animalistic
1: evil, the killer's last violation was to step on the little girl's head. Both Tiffany and Teresa were found fully clothed on the kitchen floor. The medical examiner's report stated that Teresa and Tiffany Hall died from repeated blows to the head and face, and neither one of them was sexually assaulted. The evidence outside of the home was hindered by the torrential rain that came through that night after the parade.
2: It had rained the night before we got there, so any footprints or things of that nature was gone. There's some floodlights on the corner of the house. They had been broken out with a stick. And the glass was laying down, but no footprints because of the rain. And what we had was T- Teresa and Tiffany both dead in the house. And uh, we went to work.
1: Right away that Tuesday evening, Sheriff McDaniel and investigators took 19 statements from neighbors and family. From inside the home, 79 items of physical evidence was collected as well as evidence from the medical examiner's office and were submitted and tested. No matches were made in the criminal data system.
2: We had several people that was, came in and out of the line of sights for suspects, but we, most of them was ruled out. One individual was put on polygraph and flunked the polygraph a couple of times. His lawyer got involved, refused to let us talk to him. We were never able to do anything beyond that. And here's what the key to that is. If you can't prosecute the case, don't make the arrest because time starts running on you, see. You've got so many days between arrest and trial that you got to do. Only they can put that off. You see, here's long lawyer can can file, file for an extension, extension, extension. But you got to have your ducks in a row when you're going to do that. We had... Uh, Teresa had been very active in our church. She was, in fact, active in church studies and things of that nature. Um, Her husband was working out of town. I don't know if it was carpet or tile or what they were doing, it seemed like it was carpet. And he was out of town. We verified that he was out of town. And uh, Tiffany Lord, that child, there's no reason to kill a child unless that child could identify who killed her. Now that's the only reason you do it. You think about why kill a child? If a child can identify who the assailant was, then you have to kill
0: it. Friday, December 13th, 1991. Teresa and Tiffany Hall's funeral was held at the Cypress Baptist Church. Jackson County was once again in mourning. Sure, they had seen crime before, but a murder against a young, law-abiding mom and her five-year-old daughter? Who would do such a thing? That is the million-dollar question.
2: We're going to just hypothetically talk about this okay
0: mm-hmm.
2: somebody went to that back door and knocked on her door and Teresa says who is it and she went to it. neighbor heard some comments heard a little bit of a comment something to the fact well, what are you doing here Teresa's talking goes in then it's somebody she knows that she let in the house Tiffany was probably down in the bedroom and we know this because Theresa was in the kitchen. Tiffany's hair was left in the hallway going to the kitchen. We proved that Tiffany's head had hit the threshold, wooden threshold, stepping up into the kitchen. Okay, she goes to help her mama. She hears her mama scream, she runs. He just, child, grabbed her and threw her down like that and then beat up mama. And then mama dies. We have to try to make things uh, make sense.
1: Months went by with no answers and rumors were spreading all over. People whose names were being gossiped about and linked to the murders were approaching the sheriff's department asking to take polygraphs to clear their names. Having your name associated with a murder in a small town is devastating. It affects your social standing, your ability to make money. And this is not just about the individual. It affects your entire family in the same way and sometimes becomes a generational curse. Marcia Atkins knows all about that. She lives in Jackson County and has her whole life. In fact, Teresa used to babysit Marcia's husband and his cousins when they were little. She reached out to us about her husband's uncle, Wayne Mears. At the time, Wayne was a corrections officer, and he and his wife were good friends and neighbors of Teresa and Brian Hall.
4: You know, he was always pointed at one of the killers. I don't know if they thought that, they, that Wayne and Teresa might have had something going on his wife, his ex-wife now. But at the time, his wife's name was Teresa also. And her and that Teresa were best friends. And they lived in a small community, like maybe a square mile, maybe, You know, so they're literally like the dirt right over from them. And they all went to the same church and everything. I don't know if people seen him over there. I'm not sure how he got brought up.
1: At some point early into the murder investigation of Teresa and Tiffany, an electric company employee came forward saying he was at the Hall residence the morning of the murders and saw two white men standing in the yard. One of the men he identified as Wayne Mears. The other male he didn't know who he was but he did help police with a photo composite, which was distributed in the local papers, asking for help identifying that person. The man was never identified, but according to Marsha, Wayne remained under the umbrella of suspicion and still does to this day. Wayne's name was also documented in the book, The High Sheriff.
4: Husband's uncle was named in the book, and he had a lot of problems with that. You know, you don't truly ever know the person you'd like to think you do, you know? But sometimes you, there's things that you don't know about people. And if it happened, if he did, then, you know, we still would like to get justice for them. But if it's not, we definitely would like to clear his name from just a rumor. Cause it's all rumors right now. But his uncle went to prison 20 years later, probably in 2009 for drug charges. So he, all the DNA and fingerprints, he went to the So he's got fingerprints and all that was on file. And uh, so I'm like, the got his DNA, and all these years, it's never matched. And they question him, and people have said his name the whole time. You know,
1: nothing's come up about it, but yet people still bring his name up every time.
4: He passed away in 2009.
1: Marcia says Wayne and his family had to always deal with public admonishment and all of the rumors since the day the two were murdered. Regardless of the fact that nobody local has been publicly named, and if this small town wasn't scared enough, Now they considered a serial killer as a possible suspect. The
4: railroad killer in the late 1990s, fear and panic swept through railroad towns across the United States over a rail riding fugitive who would jump on and off freight trains, preying on unsuspected victims, oftentimes murdering them inside their own homes. He was identified as Angel Matarino Resendez, a Mexican-born drifter who bumped Osama bin Laden from the top spot on the FBI's most wanted list. This story
1: has- in 2006, former Sheriff's Office Major John Dennis traveled to Texas to interview the infamous railroad killer, Angel Matarino Resendez. On the night before he was executed for a different murder, Resendez described to Dennis the details of the night in Cyprus. He described the weather and the details of the Hall's home and it being near the railroad tracks. He said he rode the train between Tallahassee and Pensacola around the time of the deaths. He also pointed out pictures of Teresa and Tiffany Hall. Ultimately, he did not confess to killing the mother and daughter and has no memory of the actual crime, which he admitted he often never remembered his crimes the next day. Dennis also asked if Resendez usually wore gloves during his crimes. Resendez said no. Major Dennis received a call on his drive back from his interview before the execution from prison officials saying Resendez wanted to tell him something. Resendez got on the phone and confessed that he did, in fact, usually wear gloves during his crimes. Regardless of his claims, the railroad killer's DNA did not match any evidence at the scene. Many believe Resendez had nothing to do with killing Teresa and Tiffany Hall. Most say he was trying in vain to get a stay of execution by teasing his involvement with the murders. Either way, we will never know for sure. Angel Materino resendez was executed on June twenty seventh, two 2006. This case has continued to haunt Jackson County and Sheriff McDaniel after all these years, but they are not giving up hope. In 2020, it was announced that the case was being reopened. According to the Dothan Eagle, new leads were being developed in the investigation and law enforcement requested continued assistance and commitment to solving this crime.
0: When doing these interviews, it occurred to us how much small towns have dealt with the social media syndrome since, well, forever. Once your name is associated with a crime, and especially a heinous crime like this, there's no going back. The rumor itself takes on a life of its own, and everyone adds their version of the events and their version of who you are based on the new filter you are viewed through. And any person's persona can be contorted to fit the narrative being espoused. It's like a viral TikTok challenge. It's community building. It's fun. Nobody wants to be left out. But what makes it so complicated is that the saying, where there's smoke, there's fire, is many times true. But in this case, there is so much smoke, it's hard to tell where the fire is actually coming from.
1: Here's Marcia Atkins. One person
4: says, we're a and they saw the next person, the next person, the next person. And, you know, all our grandmas and moms and dads and all grew up together, basically. They're all about the same age, and they all lived in this town since their grandma's grandma. So I think it's just one person said something and then said it to this one and said it to that one. And like the game of telephone in school, you add a
0: little bit more to it and add a little bit more to it. To date, No one has been charged with the murder of Teresa and Tiffany Hall. Time moves on, but in a small town it's hard to forget. This community continues to search for answers, and they still remember the sweet mom and daughter who lived in the little pink house on Village Road.
4: I just I hope that someday they find me no matter who it is. They find out who killed them so you know I kind of I feel like in the spirit, or you know, if something like that, tragedy happens, you're kind of restless, you know, until they can fight, point the finger at somebody. And I just hope that they would find somebody one day instead of people who say it like the two sphericals that confessed it, but uh, nothing come out of it. I just hope that they find them and hold them to justice. Yeah, this is big. I mean, women and men fight all the time, and it's terrible that for murder is terrible on any means, but a child, you know, senseless,
3: senseless. I've been somewhere and people would ask where I'm from and I say, Mariana. And they know where it is because of those murders. There, I was surprised to see people were still talking about it. I was blown away. I was like, that just validated everything that I felt and made me feel like I'm not crazy, that people still remember it and... Uh, people still don't understand why it's been unsolved for so long. It's just, it just made me feel validated, I guess. All of my family is in Mariana. So I've been here a long time. And I mean, we're literally like a small town, like you would see with the, the buildings downtown that are hundreds of years old and, you know, old murals on the wall and things like that. We're that small town America kind of place that has a huge farming community we're known for. And that just amazes me because we're, we're Mariana. We're not like a metropolitan area. You know, we're a farming community and these crazy things happen
1: here. It's just, um, it boggles my mind If you have any information on the case of Teresa and Tiffany Hall, you are asked to contact the Jackson County Sheriff's Office at 850-482-9624.
0: Okay, so you guys, thank you again for joining us on this three-part series on Jackson County. It's fascinating, but this was just really super heartbreaking. I think one thing that um, we bring out of this is that small towns equal big rumors, and I think we knew that, but this is a really good case. Now, we don't dive into the rumors um, except for here when we do a wrap-out, and we just um, we try to put them out there and let you guys know What is being said in the small towns? What are the people saying? Because this is actually what's being dealt with, right, Lori?
1: Right, exactly. And I think it's very important. It's such a shame for innocent people to be associated with such a heinous crime. And, you know, until we really know, you know, some of them have had to live with such horrific things attached to them that they had nothing to do with anything. Um, So I think that's why it's important. And because social media does live on and people make comments, Just because people make comments doesn't mean it's true, but it is out there. And it makes people then just tag on to that same theory without even doing any research or knowing anything. And before you know it, it takes on a life of its own.
0: Right. So starting there, you guys, um, the reason why we're so grateful to people like Jennifer and Marsha and, of course, Sheriff McDaniel. But, you know, Marsha reached out because her husband's uncle is actually one of those people that she says has been um, subject to those rumors. So we're just gonna use first names, but Wayne was once a corrections officer um, and then and during the murder. Now some people say that there was some type of relationship between Wayne and um, and it's been rumored that there was some type of relationship going on. Now, I know that Wayne and his wife, according to Marsha, were best friends with um, Teresa and Brian Hall. Um, And again, uh, somebody had said that Wayne was seen in the yard the day of the killing. And so Marsha says that her husband's family has had to live with this. Um, And it only got worse after the killings. Apparently, um, Wayne was arrested for drugs and um, went to prison. He actually ended up dying in prison um, because he got gangrene in his leg and um, died of the infection. So that has been the rumor. um, And that has even some law enforcement have also backed up that claim that they think there is something there. I never like to put information out there about, you know, Teresa's not here to say that that wasn't true, but that has definitely been some on a lot of people's mind in that small town.
1: But the one point that I think that she made to you, which was very important, I think when you interviewed her, I mean, she said, Hey, none of us really know anybody. If he did it, he did it. But I mean, they have his prints, they have all of this stuff and there's DNA and they've never come out and set a match after all of these years. Like, why would his name still be associated? You know, that was the problem. When you say they have his prints, you mean they have prints from the killer. Correct, because they have it from the crime scene but he also worked he was a corrections officer so they all have to go through security and have prints so I mean there was DNA that they could match because they have his prints on
0: file because he's been a a corrections officer
1: yeah I mean this whole thing about the
0: prints there is so I mean there's a lot more DNA here than they have for a lot of cases and, and evidence so it's it is and I think that's what's hard for a lot of people is that there there is evidence here so And I thought what Marcia was saying that is really interesting is that a lot of people want the killer found for two reasons, to clear other people so they can move on. So they don't have this generation of, you know, and I know what it's like in a small town when you say your name, everybody knows you by your parents, by your brother, by your sister. So when they have a name like this, she's saying, hey, if he did it, by all means. You know, we want to know he's he's dead and gone now, but this family deserves to know. However, if he didn't do it, it'll be great to know who did it just to clear these other people like Wayne. And then let's talk about Brian.
1: I don't know, Jen, and I know we don't like to summarize or anything like that, but Brian Hall, I get again, his fingerprints would be there because he lived there. So if his prints and DNA is found there, that's kind of hard to argue. The man lived in that home. So his prints and stuff is going to be there, number one. Number two, the alibi. And even when we talked to Sheriff, oh, he was working out of state. Okay, well, that out of state drive was only two hours away. Quitman, Georgia is two hours from where they lived in Cyprus. So I'm sorry if the if the murder happened that night, he had plenty of time to turn around and go back home, go back to Georgia and pretend he was working the next day. Like, to me, I don't know how solid was that alibi. I wanted to hear more from the police of where was he that night? Yes, he was working in Georgia, but where was he that night? Well, I mean, okay, but
0: even bigger than that. And again, we um, tell you guys about things that are on the books, things that are convictions. We try not to use names of people when there's hearsay. And, you know, quickly, if you notice in the, you know, Don or um, in Brittany Drexel's case, we did not use last names. And for good reason. Now we know who who killed them. And there were a lot of people that had rumored or even been arrested for it. And they didn't have anything to do with it. But in this case, Brian Hall has been twice convicted now of molestation. He is actually a predator. Yes, I looked him up.
1: He's a current predator. He's currently on the FDLE Sexual Predators Registry. Correct. Now, Brian was
0: Teresa's husband,
1: Tiffany's father.
0: He has been, again, convicted of child molestation of a child. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter what the age, but it it does in terms of this— Um, The children that he uh, was violating were young children. So, um, and that did not come out until after the passing of Teresa and Tiffany. But I think when that happened, that kind of sent things uh, sideways for a lot of different people. I mean, so, he's the father. Um, He and... Uh, Teresa had just gotten back together. They had a tumultuous relationship that everybody knew about. And then, you know, they're back together and he's working out of town. And like you said, it's two hours away. But I think the fact that he was then later convicted of child molestation and now he's a predator, you know, on the FDLE's um, list. I, you know, that's I don't know. There's something there. However, I will say, and this is just completely speaking from somebody who's not a police officer and not educated in that field i think the amount of rage towards the child i find it hard to believe that it would be the father i don't think anybody had really said that there was rage towards the child at that point i just i think that yes parents kill their children But not in this way. Uh, You know, this was somebody who had a complete disregard for Tiffany and an actual hatred, I think, like a completely disregard and and no emotion at all in the way that she was killed. So that's that. That's for you guys to uh, to consider. And that's why we throw all these things out there for you. So that is the wrap out on Brian. And then LJ, do you want to
1: talk about the serial killers? And you and I were talking, I feel like so many people just try to throw it on a serial killer when they can't seem to find out. I mean, we don't know. But there are two names that have come up associated with this as far as serial killers are concerned. One is the one we talked about, Resendez, the, the notorious railroad killer, again, you know, things for me, yes, he picked them out in a lineup of pictures or whatever. He pointed them out. But, I mean, they were in the news. He could have seen them anywhere. And there's some other issues. Some of that, you know, even the fact that it rained that night, that could have been in the news. Serial killers are very manipulative and they look at information to try and stake their claim, don't they?
0: Yeah. And I think, well, Resendez, I, I think there, It is definitely plausible. And, and I think it's plausible because... You guys, Teresa's and Tiffany, the hall home, was very close to the railroad tracks. But I also think it's important to point out that there is a federal prison in Mariana, right there in that area. So there are some, you know, in this area, it's who knows. But so there was a reason to have really bad people around in that area. And Teresa did um, work with the church and she was often involved in volunteering and they would often do that at the railroad tracks at the station. Is that correct, LJ?
1: Yes, yes. And Mercendez actually, he was in federal prison in Mariana. He was released in 1991, shortly before Teresa and Tiffany were murdered. So you bring up a good point, too, with the prison being near there because he actually served time right there and was released in 91.
0: And he was a, a railroad jumper, and like i said her church would often go and provide food and clothing for those people who were often homeless so she was definitely a part of being seen out there by the railroad jumpers and um and she would even of course and from what we understand about Teresa, just a really sweet soul they say that she would always bring lemonade to the conductor so she was out there you know um, somebody could have definitely have seen her out there. But, you know, Resendez, like I said, I, I think that there was DNA, but obviously it wasn't a match there. I do believe it's so interesting that, you know, here he is a day away from his execution and um, Dennis goes to talk with him. What a conversation that must have been.
1: I know a two hour conversation, but man, you just don't know. They're so manipulative. I feel like they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. You just don't know. It's crazy.
0: And the fact that he was trying to get a stay of execution. So, but but even crazier, you guys, is you know, um, Sheriff McDaniel was telling us, you know that Dennis was driving away. He didn't get what he wanted, and then hours before. You know, the, the lethal injection is going to happen. He gets a call and says, Resendez wants to talk to you and what must have been going through his mind. And then all he says is, you know, oh, by the way, I did wear gloves. So if you guys are confused on that, he's was basically trying to say, if you don't find my DNA or Dennis may have told him we didn't find your DNA. And so he's trying to say, oh, I told you I, you know, I didn't wear gloves, but now I'm telling you I did that way. I think what he was hoping for is that they would keep him alive in hopes of getting more information about killing Teresa and Tiffany. But it did not work. And, you know, sadly, um, and I say sadly because he's still, you know, still uh, a human life. He was executed that night, actually.
1: And then the other serial killer is Tommy Lynn Sells, and he's called the Coast to Coast Killer because he's killed people from coast to coast. And his crime spanned from 79 to 99 And he did have a couple of them that he killed a mother and a child, bludgeoned them to death. I mean, you know, in the same way, but a lot of his were sexual assaults and they were never sexually assaulted. And also there's just no DNA, no proof, no anything. I feel like it's just one that they said, oh, this guy killed a couple, you know, mothers and their children. And so let's tack it on to Tiffany and Teresa Hall.
0: Yeah. And... I think if if, uh, what people need to know is that sometimes they believe that the police uh, and law enforcement want to close the case. They want to close the case for um, community peace of mind. They want to close the case so that they can be reelected. You know, there's lots of reasons why sometimes people believe they just want to close the case. You and I have talked about. I have never in my entire life seen so many serial killers pass through a small town. But when I asked about this, I thought it was really interesting. I asked Jennifer why she thought about this. And, and um, you know, that highway is a main highway that runs through all of those small towns. They connect, like we talked about, they connect everybody to the beach towns. We know that serial killers love warm weather and, and beach towns because it, it offers them um, autonomy where they can hang out and not necessarily be questioned why they have nowhere to go they can just simply hang out on the beach they also tend to meet other you know the underbelly of life out there so i i don't know i just but i will also say i have learned about all these serial killers that i didn't even know existed like otis tool and those and they're
3: crazy
0: stories so anyway you guys uh, obviously you like true crime so these may be a couple of serial killers that you want to You want to look up.
1: And speaking of rumors, Jen, this one is a really hard one to even talk about, but it is a hard one to talk about, but he does address it in his book. So I think it's important, and it is out there on social media that. Sheriff John McDaniel's son was also rumored to have extensive knowledge of the case or somehow be involved. So,
0: uh, yeah, but I think like Lori and I talked about, Sheriff McDaniel addresses that in his book. It is a super small town, you guys, and anytime Sheriff McDaniel, obviously, when you're sheriff, you're a lightning rod and when you're sheriff for that long. And, you know, Sheriff McDaniel, you know, talks about it and um, in his book. And what he says is that nothing has ever been verified. There's no evidence that existed regarding this to have any involvement. So sadly, um, we can't ask John about this. You know, and again, this is in the book, but um, John back in 1990, he was driving a truck and the truck he was in hit a car and ended up killing a little girl. So I think he struggled. According to the book and his friends and family, he really struggled with that. Now, this is Sheriff McDaniel's son, John, struggled with that little girl being killed and developed a drinking problem from then on. And sadly, he ended up dying of cirrhosis of the liver in June of 2004. So you know that kind of has i don't want to say that that's over because again lori had people reaching out to her saying you know that you need to address this so uh but you know that's why we really wanted to talk about the fact that there's rumors and that, you know, they really do damage to people. And obviously, everybody wants to see the person who did this out there. And, and there's no, you know, there's no getting away from it. But in a
1: small town, I think what we realized is, gosh, there was so many people that the finger was pointed at. Again, guys, we want to keep the focus on Tiffany and Teresa Hall. And if anybody has any information, we know the community wants it solved. We know Sheriff McDaniel wants it solved. We know the current administration wants it solved. So that's why we continue to tell their stories. So join us next time as we conclude Jackson County Part 3, which that is a crazy and tragic story. So thanks for listening and join us next time as we bring you Part 3 of Jackson County, Florida. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Healing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubisak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE special agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victims' stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends to subscribe. Save big on Brunch for Mom,
0: all in the Kroger app.